We have been studying together in recent weeks through this Peacemaker series. I am sure that, like me, you have been uh, encouraged. You've perhaps been learning a lot along the way. But, you know, one of the, one of the mistakes that sometimes we can make in our calling to be peacemakers is to be confused and, and to think that by merely not speaking up or by merely not uh, uh, entering into the fray of a conflict that we are making peace. Uh, you know, sometimes we have this idea of, uh, well, if I just stay silent or if I just don't uh, interact in the midst of that, then I'm being a peacemaker. And, and certainly there are times where the wisest thing that we can do is to hold back. The wisest thing we can do is even to remove ourselves from the situation. But uh, the reality is that to be a biblical peacemaker, more often than not, is something that is very intentional, something that is very active. In our home just this past week, uh, one of the members of our family had just made a sandwich and uh, had set it on the table for their lunch and had, had gone into another room to get something just very, very quickly. And uh, when they came back into the room uh, a couple of moments later, they saw our dog up on the table taking the final bite of this sandwich that they had prepared for themselves. Uh, but what made that situation worse was that there was another member of the family who was sat directly opposite this at the table. And uh, so when they were asked, well, why didn't you do anything? Their response was simply, well, what? It, it wasn't my fault. And of course, that uh, created something of a conflict. You know, there are some times where, where we do much the same thing, where we think to ourselves uh, that we can just throw up our hands and say, well, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. But that is not what a biblical peacemaker does. A biblical peacemaker recognizes that our calling, our calling from Christ, is to be very intentional, to be very deliberate, and to set ourselves in the path of helping others be at peace, first with God, but also with one another. Uh, Jesus actually speaks about the uh, essential nature of being a peacemaker as he uh, uh, interacts with his disciples. And we're going to take a little bit of time together this morning in a passage uh, to see what he has to say to us as he gives some very specific and very helpful instruction uh, that is not only uh, directed at us as individuals, at those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, but also he speaks to the church as a whole and how we need to to individually and corporately live as peacemakers. If you've got a Bible with you, I would invite you to uh, go ahead and grab it and join me in the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. And in a few minutes, we're going to be looking at our passage that begins in verse 15. But what I actually want to do is to lead us at first through the context of what takes place before this in this chapter, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18, because as we do that, we are going to uh, make sure that we are not misunderstanding the instruction that the Lord is giving to us. And so as we turn to Matthew chapter 18, the first thing that we're going to discover there is that as disciples of Jesus or as peacemakers, we need to check our motivation and our attitude. 
At the beginning of chapter 18, something interesting is happening. Uh, Jesus has, has, has just been telling his disciples about his upcoming uh, uh, crucifixion, about all that is going to happen to him when he is arrested, when he is beaten, when he is crucified, and how he will rise again. And what have the disciples got on their mind? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And so they're asking Jesus, so tell us, you know, how do we get to be the, the most important? How do we get to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus brings a, a child and places him in the midst of them and says, see this child? He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so what he does is he actually points to a child, not because they are the picture necessarily of humility and that they're never boastful, but rather because in that culture, uh, children were voiceless. Children were not considered to have any status, any position, any particular importance. And so he says, you need to lay down your right to be considered important. You need to lay down your pursuit of status and instead have a humble attitude uh, that puts others First, that is what a true disciple, that's what a biblical peacemaker does. Now, I want you to, to, to notice here in, in Matthew chapter 18, because it's important for where we're going, uh, that he, he uh, likens the peacemaker, he likens the biblical disciple to being like a child. So what we're going to see in this passage is not him talking about children in general, but actually talking about the true disciple who has a childlike humility. And so, for example, in verse 5, when he goes on to say, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. What he's talking about here is he's actually talking about true disciples, genuine believers who have this humble, childlike attitude. And so when we see this phrase, little ones, in this chapter, he is not referring to children in general. He's actually referring in an affectionate way to those who are his disciples. You know, what a beautiful reminder of the fact that our God looks on us with a tender affection. He looks on you with a tender affection. He, he refers to you, if you like, as, as, as a child, as, as a little one, as one who is beloved by him. And this passage makes very clear uh, in this statement uh, about those who would cause his little ones to sin. It, it makes very clear how seriously God takes the issue of sin, and the judgment that will come upon those who would lead others into sin. In fact, the passage then continues, verses 7 through verse 9, uh, to talk about the importance of the, uh, of the biblical disciple, of the, of the peacemaker, uh, being committed to dealing seriously with sin in their own lives. Uh, and, and Jesus speaks in kind of hyperbolic language here as he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's, of course, not talking about self-mutilation here. Instead, he's, he's talking about the fact that we need to have this humble attitude, but we also need to recognize that when it comes to the matter of sin in our life, in its many shapes and forms, that we need to be radical in our dealing with it. Why? Because sin in the eyes of God is a serious business, 
and we cannot afford to play with it. Uh, That brings us then to verse 10 uh, through verse 14. And uh, again, we see an interesting statement here. Jesus says in verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Again, not referring to children in general here, rather referring to those who are true believers, who are disciples of Jesus. And so this whole passage, this whole chapter has to do with believers. And what we're going to see is in a moment, he's concerned about those believers who are stumbling, who are straying into sin. And the instruction here, see that you do not despise one of them, is very important to us as we think about this idea of being biblical peacemakers. Because, you know, we can sometimes have the tendency, we can sometimes have the temptation to despise others. We despise others sometimes when we ignore what they're doing. Uh, There is unfortunately a common mantra in our society that seems to have swept in many ways into the church, which is kind of this idea of live and let live. Uh, Just just let people get on with their own thing, whatever works for you. And, and, And that is utterly unbiblical. Way back in the book of Genesis, Cain asks God, am I my brother's keeper, trying to kind of get off the hook when God asks him where his brother is? And, and, and the, the correct answer to that question is yes. Yes, you are. You do have a, a responsibility. You do have a, a commitment to your brothers. And so uh, this is talking about the fact that we need to be careful not to despise others who are in sin. One of the ways in which we've got to be on guard against that is that we don't simply ignore or act as if their sin did not exist. To do that is really to despise someone. It is not loving to ignore sin in a person's life. Likewise, we have to be careful that we don't despise uh, uh, any who are are, uh, the Lord's people by a harsh or critical attitude. Sometimes we can see something in somebody's life and we can become very judgmental. We can become very critical of them. And to do that is really to despise them. It demonstrates a heart not of humility, which Jesus has said that we need to have like a child, but rather kind of an arrogant or prideful spirit. And so another way in which we can despise if we are not careful is to think of ourselves as being superior to somebody else. There's an old uh, saying, but for the grace of God, there go I. And the reality is that when we see a brother or sister in Christ who is struggling with sin, who is, who is uh, weighed down under a weight of temptation, who is beginning to stray, Uh, that we need to act with grace toward them. We need to recognize that we ourselves are not immune from those same kinds of struggles and temptations. And so we need to make sure that we don't have a critical or despising attitude. He goes on to say, still in verse 10, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. And then he says, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see uh, uh, the face of my father who is in heaven. A lot of people have looked at this verse and they have uh, confused this idea of, of, of the little ones as still referring to children. And so they've tried to develop this whole idea of children having guardian angels. And I don't think that that's what this passage is saying. Uh, in fact, I think that the, as far as we can go with this is, is to recognize the fact that, that angels are ministering spirits. They are uh, um, um, 
sent from God to minister for the sake of the people of God. And so I think that what Jesus is saying here is the fact that we ought not to despise a struggling believer, one who is straying, because that's not the attitude of God. Uh, what God does, rather, is he gives aid to those who are struggling. He, he provides ministering spirits. He provides angelic assistance to those who are straying. And so we need to have an attitude, a compassionate heart, just like God. And in fact, Jesus uh, gives a parable, which is really quite a familiar one to many of us, in order to demonstrate this fact. Now, the parable he gives here is the parable of the lost sheep. And what's really interesting is that in Luke's gospel, we have recorded for us the parable of the lost sheep. And in, and in the context there, it's very clear that Jesus is talking about the fact that he is like the shepherd who comes seeking the sheep that is lost and bringing them to salvation. But here in Matthew's gospel, he's using the same parable, but to make a different point. You see, he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. And then verse 14, so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, in light of the context here, what Jesus is, is, is showing us, what he is teaching us, is that we who are followers of Christ, we who are the biblical uh, peacemakers, we ought to reflect the compassionate heart of God, and we ought to be like the shepherd who goes in pursuit of the straying sheep. And so whereas in uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus represents the shepherd going and seek in, in, in search of the one in need of salvation, whereas here in Matthew's gospel, we uh, who are biblical peacemakers, who are the disciples, are like the shepherds who go seeking to bring back the straying, struggling believer. And we see God's heart of compassion here where he says, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And again, this is speaking of those who are, uh, are, are believers, those who are true disciples. It is not the will of the Father that one of these true disciples should perish. And so this isn't specifically a statement uh, about salvation. It's not specifically a statement about, uh, um, uh, uh, about the Lord bringing or, or desiring that all people would be saved. Rather, this is a beautiful promise of the preservation that God does in the work of those who are truly his people, that he will not allow his little ones, those who believe in him, to perish. And then that brings us uh, to the instruction, the specific instruction that Jesus gives us as biblical peacemakers. And what we see is that as peacemakers, we have both the responsibility as well as the divine authority to compassionately help restore believers who are straying. Look with me at these verses. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Well, what does uh, this section have to do with what came before? Well, really, the instructions that Jesus is giving here is a how-to search for lost sheep. Uh, the, the instruction he gives in verses 15 through 20 is uh, the application of the parable of the lost sheep that he has just told. Therefore, since we are to have a humble attitude, not despising uh, uh, our brothers, uh, therefore, since we are to have a compassionate heart, just like the Father, how do we go in search of and help to bring back and restore the straying sheep? Well, here's three specific and detailed steps that he gives us. I love the fact that uh, the language here changes a little bit. Earlier in the chapter, as I've already alluded to, uh, Jesus refers to these little ones. And I think that that's reflective of, of God's perspective towards us, his children. He looks with that tender and compassionate care upon us as precious little ones in his sight. Uh, but now the language in verse 15 changes to brother, and we can also include sister in there. And, and this shows us that the, the, whereas the relationship from the Father in heaven toward us is like little children, uh, um, so our relationship to one another also ought to be intimate and, and close, that between believers there should be this, uh, that, that this family-like relationship of concern and love and tenderness for one another. And he says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is, if you like, the first step in this process. And so what we see is that as disciples of Jesus, we're to reflect the heart of God by actively pursuing the restoration of straying believers. Uh, to do this, um, we have this, this first step. And I want you to notice that it is, again, it's something active, not passive. Just like in the parable of the lost sheep that we've just seen, it is the shepherd who goes in search of the straying sheep. So here in verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his faults. In other words, the responsibility is put on the one who has been offended rather than on the offender. The responsibility for taking the initiative here is put on the one who witnesses the brother or the sister beginning to stray in sin rather than that brother or sister themselves. It's not that they don't have responsibility, but one of the subtle things that sin often does is it blinds us to the reality. And, and we need oftentimes when we are wrestling in sin, we need somebody else to come and to help us see things rightly. And so that's the responsibility that we're given as biblical peacemakers to be initiative takers here. You know, a godly friend and brother won't always tell us what we want to hear. 
And think about that for a moment. Uh, we like hearing good things about ourselves. We like hearing things that make us feel good about ourselves. But a true brother, a, a true sister, a, a true friend, well, they don't always tell us uh, what we want to hear, but they do have a commitment to tell us what we need to hear. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, we read, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Think about that for a moment. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Sometimes we think the most loving thing that we can do is ignore somebody's actions. But that's not true. Sometimes the most loving thing that we need to do, what they need from us the most is to bravely, courageously, trusting in the Lord, prayerfully going to them and addressing the issue that is between us or the issue that we see that person beginning to stray from the Lord in the midst of. And so we have a responsibility here. You know, sometimes we can read an instruction like this and we, we, we make all sorts of different excuses. And one of those excuses is, well, what if they don't respond well? Or what if I mess up what I'm saying? Uh, we can have this kind of feeling of fear. And I think that that's normal. I think that that is uh, understandable. I certainly, at times where I've had to address an issue of sin uh, with somebody, I am petrified going into it, but I also seek to be prayerful asking that God would prepare their hearts to be responsive, asking that he would prepare my heart and that he would set a guard over my mouth, that I would only speak what is, what is true, uh, what is encouraging, what is uplifting, even as we deal with this difficult issue. I don't know if you've ever had anything stuck in your teeth. And, and, and a friend comes and they sort of quietly point out the fact that you've got this piece of spinach or this piece of blueberry or something that you didn't realize that was there that you ate for lunch, stuck in your teeth. It's kind of embarrassing at the time that they come and, uh, and, and point that out to you. And you sort of uh, feel real uh, nervous about it. And, and they feel embarrassed as well because, you know, when, when's the best time to say, hey, you've got this thing hanging from your teeth? Um, but even though it's embarrassing, even though it feels a little bit awkward, you're really thankful later on that they did that. Because what they have done is that they have actually saved you from greater embarrassment. It means that you've not walked around the entire rest of the day with everybody else that you've seen with this thing stuck in your teeth. And so we're thankful for that. And really, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about something which, yes, to begin with, can seem to be uncomfortable, can seem to be difficult. But the heart of it is that we would save them later harm and later heartache by not allowing them to continue to stray in this area, either of a fractured relationship or of an open sin and disobedience to the Lord. We need to go prayerfully. We need to check our preferences. We need to make sure that we're not just bringing up with them an issue because we don't like the way that they're doing something. We don't want to have a critical spirit. But as Galatians 6.1 instructs us, the Apostle Paul there says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of 
gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And again there, we see that attitude, we see that heart of taking responsibility, of taking the initiative, of reflecting the compassionate heart of the Father with an attitude of gentleness. This is not about rushing in like a bull in a china shop and, and, and pointing out errors. We don't do this. Biblical peacemakers don't enjoy pointing issues out in the lives of others. Rather, we have this compassionate heart that cares for them. Christina Fox wrote a wonderful article related to this in um, Desiring God, and she says, we see the quicksand that our brother or sister is stepping into, and we desperately want to pull them out before it sucks them in. How do we do this? She says, we are to preach the gospel to our friends. We want to remind them of the joy that is found in knowing God and being known by Him, of the deep satisfaction that is found in enjoying the one who made us. We remind them who they are in Christ and what He has done for them. We remind them that they were bought with a price, that they are new creations, and that Christ will not forsake them. In short, we point them to the cross to redemption, to forgiveness, to the way of repentance. And we offer to walk with them in the journey. I love that picture of rescuing somebody from the quicksand, of calling them back from it, but by doing it in a way that reminds them of who Christ is, that reminds them of who they are in Christ, of calls, that calls them to keep on looking to him. There's a sense in which as biblical peacemakers, our job is not to go and wag the finger at them. It is to come alongside, put our arm around their shoulder, and lovingly, brother to brother, sister to sister, point them once again to the splendor of the cross, to the beauty of Christ, and to encourage them and walk with them as they turn back to him. This instruction here in verse 15 is if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. He goes on to say, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The purpose of this entire passage has to do with, yes, dealing with sin seriously, but dealing with it for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation, to bring back that straying sheep, to bring back that straying brother. You know, this passage is often referred to as the church discipline passage. And it's true. In a moment, we're going to see some of the disciplinary measures that Jesus sets forth for his church here. Uh, But I actually prefer to refer to it as the church restoration passage because the heart of this is always that they would be responsive and that like that lost sheep, that they, they would be brought back into the fold. And so... Uh, he sets up here, he says, if, you're, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But then he goes on uh, to a second step. If there is a hardness of heart, if there is an unresponsiveness, then there is a next step that needs to be taken. And, and in this second step, should the person not listen or respond, we see that it actually reflects, once again, the serious nature of sin by escalating the seriousness of the environment in which we address it. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
Now, this actually takes the principle from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, this idea of, of every case, every situation being established uh, through the testimony of two or three witnesses. Uh, and here the picture is of, uh, of, of now going back to that person a second time, but this time taking others with you. Now, one of the things I want to be very clear about is the fact that we have to be careful that we don't skip steps in this process. There have been times that I have had people come to me and they've said, Pastor, uh, you need to know about this situation in this person's life. And, And I'll stop them. I'll say, before you go any further, let me ask you this question. Have you gone and spoken to them about this yet? And if they haven't, then I'll take them back to this passage and walk them through. We have to be careful that we don't escalate prematurely this situation. And so uh, here, what this is not saying is if the person doesn't listen to you the first time, go and find other people, gossip about them, build your case with others so that you know how to have a group of people who are on your side. That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying here is that this is a serious matter and we need to communicate the seriousness of it. And so find one or two godly, wise, mature believers who will come and who will act as witnesses to see that indeed you have appropriately uh, presented this, that you've stepped through this and to to bear witness to how the person responds so that if this needs to escalate to the next step, There is a proper basis for doing that. Again, the goal here always is that they would respond and that you would win your brother over. That's always the heart of God. That's always the heart of the biblical uh, um, uh, peacemaker. But he also gives us a next step. In verse 17, uh, we learn that if he refuses to listen to them, uh, uh, when you go with the two or three witnesses, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, again, there's a responsibility here, and and this time it escalates again because of the seriousness of sin, because of the need to deal with sin radically in order to protect the purity of the church. And and this is really where we bring in that, that, that phrase, church discipline. And the truth of the matter is that a biblical church, a truly biblical church, practices this process. In the majority of situations, it ends after that one-on-one conversation. Uh, Sometimes it needs to escalate that bit further. And from time to time, it is necessary that an unrepentant person would be brought before the church and the matter would be dealt with in order to communicate the seriousness of this issue of sin and in order to plead with them to turn back in repentance and be restored. There is, as we will see in a moment, a spiritual authority that is entrusted to the church. In fact, uh, there are only two occasions in Matthew's gospel where Jesus speaks about the church, and both of them have to do with the issue of authority, as we're going to see some more in just a moment. And here, the instruction is, if he listens to the church, that's a wonderful thing, and and, and we should celebrate if he's restored back. But he says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? It it means that at this point, that the matter has escalated to the point that we now need to treat that person the way that we would treat an unbeliever. 
because their actions are not consistent with the life of faith. They're not consistent with the life of a believer. Therefore, we, uh, we ought to uh, uh, be at the point where we actually are calling into question whether or not they are truly a follower of the Lord, and we need to respond to them appropriately. Now, how do we respond to an unbeliever? We plead with them to trust Christ for salvation. We plead with them, but through the presentation of the gospel, to turn to Him, to have their sins forgiven, uh, to experience His new life. But there's also a sense in which we need to, at this point, remove this person from under the covering of the ministries and the fellowship of the church. Uh, And this is a very important step because what it does is it communicates to the rest of the church that sin is a serious matter. You see, if we just allow people uh, uh, with, with known sin to continue with that, and we just continue treating them the way that we have always treated them, what that communicates to others in the church is that sin is not a big deal. What that communicates to others in com- the community is that sin is not a big deal. The Apostle Paul, when he's talking about this in First Timothy and also in First Corinthians, actually refers to handing someone over to Satan. Now, that sounds very harsh, Uh, but what he's actually talking about there is is removing them from the protective covering of the fellowship of the local church, uh, placing them, in a sense, back in the world, which is the realm of Satan, so that those who are truly believers will come to repentance and then ultimately be restored into the life of the church. This makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable because, let's be honest, there have been times where individuals and where churches have not been biblically wise, have not been gentle, have not been compassionate in the ways that they walk through this. There have been times where great harm has been done in the life of uh, individuals and and, and families. Uh, But Jesus calls us to take initiative to recognize the responsibility that we have as individuals and as a church and to recognize that the purpose of it is to win back, to bring back that straying brother or sister. And so we have not only this responsibility, but I want you to notice that as disciples of Jesus, as peacemakers, And as his church as a whole, we have not only the responsibility to actively pursue the restoration of a straying believer, but we also have the divine authority to do so. Look with me at verse 18. First of all, he says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Probably a better way to understand the language there is whatever uh, you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And, and there's this idea of this, th- this connection, this reflectiveness between the decisions that are made there in the church and that which is God's will as has been bound in heaven. And, and this is the second time in Matthew's gospel that this statement about binding and loosing has been made. Uh, the first time that Jesus talked about it was in Matthew 16, which again related to the authority authority of the church, specifically the leaders in the church there in that passage. And and so what this is talking about is the fact that God has entrusted to his people 
when they conduct themselves in a manner that is consistent with the Scriptures, seeking uh, from a humble heart attitude to uh, reflect the compassionate heart of God, that there is a spiritual authority connected with this biblical peacemaking. To bind something in this context would be that if there, if there is a lack of repentance, if there is an unwillingness to listen on behalf of this straying individual, then the decision that is made, uh, perhaps about uh, putting them out of the church for a season, whatever the disciplinary steps are there, that, that they are stamped with divine authority. Likewise, the loosing, if there is a responsiveness, then the forgiveness, then the restoration and the reconciliation and the welcoming them back into full fellowship of the church is given a divine stamp of approval here. There is this sense of authority. Again, Jesus stresses this sense of authority in verse 19. He says, and again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. This is not a blank check verse. This is not a whatever two people agree about in prayer, God has to give. He's not putting himself on the hook and saying, oh, well, two people agree on it, so even if I don't like the idea, I guess I promise them. That's not what this is saying. This is, again, in the context, talking about this issue of spiritual restoration of the straying brother. So if you go to your brother alone, uh, he listens to you, he responds, he is in agreement with you over the sin, and he confesses and repents of that. Then, then now you and he, two together, are agreeing over something. And, and as you pray for the resources of heaven in the midst of that, God will give what is needed for that full restoration in the midst of that. Or in a situation where, where two or three witnesses have gathered because there has been an unresponsiveness, the decision that is made as you pray, Pray together over this. God is there and will provide what is needed in the midst of that situation. So this is, again, uh, within the context here of this peacemaking. And then finally, in verse 20, we have, if you like, another repetition, really, of this idea of authority. But it has to do specifically with the presence of Christ amidst his people. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, I've got to tell you, I've heard this at a lot of prayer meetings. I've heard this at a lot of meetings where maybe the attendance is a little bit lower than everybody was hoping for. And somebody uh, with, a, with a good heart will say, well, uh, at least we know that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. Um, that's not really what this passage is talking about. Uh, in, in fact, if we, were to, if we were to take that as being the meaning of this passage, it would suggest that if I'm at home on my own praying, that, that, that Jesus isn't there with me. When, of course, he is. He has promised to his people that never will he leave us, never will he forsake us. But in the context here, we're still talking about this restoration process with a straying brother. And so uh, he's talking again about the authority authority that, the, that we have as biblical peacemakers, as disciples who are seeking to, uh, to stand on the word of God, to call our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, back to purity and back to repentance and back to an obedience to the Lord. And so when a biblical church is standing on the biblical truth and is acting in a 
biblical manner, showing compassion and humility in this, then we have the assurance, even though it may feel uncomfortable, even though it may feel frightening, that Christ himself is with us in this work of peacemaking. Friends, sin is a serious business. Do not play with it. Take it seriously. This passage talks about having a humble heart, but it also places a, a warning of judgment against those who would, who, who would tempt others into sin. It tells us uh, that we need to deal radically with sin. Uh, uh, gouge out that eye, cut off that hand, deal radically with it. And it tells us that we need to compassionately call others back into obedience to the Lord. Thanks be to God that when we were straying from him, he did not leave us as we were, but that our Savior came in pursuit of us to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to that same pursuit, that same seeking, that same calling back, calling them back to receive and to respond to the grace and the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. But if you're watching today and you've never yet responded to the invitation of Jesus, if you're like that straying sheep that has gone off on your own, then, then know this, that the reality is that every single one of us are like a straying sheep because every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has chosen to go our own way rather than God's way. But God didn't leave us in that desperate and hopeless situation. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, who bore our sins, who, who, who died on the cross for us to pay our debt, to deal with our penalty, and to provide a way for us to come back, to be reconciled, to be restored to God the Father, to become one of his precious little ones. And today, Today, that invitation stands open to you, and I would plead with you if you have never experienced the grace and the forgiveness that are found in Jesus Christ, if you don't know that you know that you belong to him, that today you would take that step. And you can, you can indicate that you're interested in learning about how, how to do that by, by filling out our online communication card. And there's a place on there where you can, uh, where you can uh, share that. And uh, we would love to connect with you, to pray with you, and to connect you with some resources to help you grow in this walk with Christ. For others of us, maybe today you are a follower of Christ, but you have been straying in disobedience. You are that, this one who needs to be called back. You know there's some stuff in your life that you have been unfaithful in, but you've kind of been writing it off. You've just been going your own way. Uh, I, I want to challenge you. Stop going in that direction. It's time to come back. As tempting, as beautiful, as, as, as interesting as that thing may be, it is over promises and it can never deliver on those promises but christ always is far more beautiful far more satisfying than anything else come back return to him don't stray any longer confess your sin to him get honest with god about it and he will welcome you back with open arms 
if you're a follower of Christ and there's an issue between you and, and another believer, or if you see a situation that you're really concerned about in somebody's life, get prayerful. Pray about it and go to that person. Encourage them. Go gently. Put this passage into practice. Go in search of that straying brother or sister. And finally, for some of us this may be uncomfortable, but if another believer comes to you out of concern and they bring up a matter in your life that needs to be addressed, even if they don't do it very well, even if it feels kind of awkward or uncomfortable, don't just dismiss it. But would you prayerfully take that before the Lord and say, God, what would you have me hear in this? What is it that this person is bringing up that I need to deal with? How would you bring me back to obedience? I I, want to challenge you to have a teachable and receptive heart. And even to thank that brother or sister for taking that step of coming to you in this matter. Friends, this is difficult to do. Being a biblical peacemaker is not comfortable. But let us rejoice in the knowledge that though sin before a holy God is serious business, that we have this promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we have traversed a lot of ground here this morning and I thank you that as we have turned to your scriptures that we see very specific steps that Jesus himself gives us in this matter of biblical peacemaking. Thank you for your heart of compassion for your people. Thank you that you are a God who goes in search of the straying sheep. Lord, I pray that we would have that same heart that we would not despise our brothers and sisters who are in sin, but that we would, with a compassionate heart, with a humble spirit, that we would recognize the responsibility that you have entrusted to us, but also the divine authority with which we go. And Lord, I pray that should there be any, uh, even under the sound of my voice today, uh, who are straying, who are like that sheep who has gone astray, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would bring about conviction, that you would open their eyes to be able to see the fruitlessness of the way that they have chosen and the beauty of Christ. Lord, help us to keep walking in your ways. Give wisdom to your people as we put into practice these important steps. Give wisdom to your church. And Lord, may we put on display for a watching world to see the supremacy of the life that is lived in Christ not only through the things that are easy, but also through the way that we deal with difficult matters and struggles in our midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you once again for joining us this Sunday morning. Uh, We're looking forward to uh, connecting with you again uh, in this coming week and uh, especially looking forward to when we will be able to gather back together again. But let me leave you uh, with this doxology uh, from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen.